This week on Access Louisville, we're going to talk about the University of Louisville buying Jewish Hospital. Plus, Louisville Muhammad Ali International Airport gets a new direct flight. But is it a, an exciting direct flight? Also, we could be getting a new soccer team. It's going to be a good one. Stick around. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Brooke Timmons. Howdy. Chris Larson. Hey, hey. And Marty Finley. How's it going? On Access Louisville, we bring you the latest news and the sharpest opinions on this city we love, Louisville, Kentucky. But before we do that, I'm going to start this show the way I always do, with a difficult question for our panel. It's another quiz. Are you guys excited? So excited. I studied. It's a quiz about Louisville International Airport. But it's just a one-question quiz because I'm really busy today. <laughs> so the, the one week I study for the quiz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to name four cities. I'm going to say, which of these cities is not a direct flight? that Louisville does not have direct flight to which of these four cities. That's a deep, that's a deep study. You guys think you can do it? Maybe, yes. Okay, here are the four cities. One of them is not, does, there is no direct flight from Louisville to one of these cities. Is it Las Vegas, Oklahoma City, Atlanta, that's a throwaway, or Minneapolis? Starting with me? Yeah, starting with you. Oklahoma City. How about you, Chris? I'm going to say no to Vegas. I'll say Minneapolis just so I'll have a different answer. And Brooke was right. It was Oklahoma City. I'm actually going to Oklahoma later this uh, this fall. Oh, I was wondering how you knew that. And and I studied the list, so (laughs) there's that. That's very good. Uh, Sorry I didn't come up with more questions, guys. uh, Yeah, I thought going out west would be the safe uh, safe option. Business leaders complain all the time about not being able to get direct flights out west. Yeah, Vegas is like the one west city. We've had that one for a long time. Quite a while, yeah. 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 We love that gambling, I guess. So got to get to Vegas for that. Yep, can't do it here. Okay, so let's talk about this new flight that was just announced yesterday. Allegiant, a uh, low-cost airline, is adding a flight to Sarasota, Florida. We were told earlier, like the day before this announcement was made, that there was a new direct flight being announced. And when when I saw Sarasota, I didn't think it was very uh, exciting. What did you guys think of it? I'm a little bummed, to be honest. Yeah, there's just already a lot of flights to Florida. so many flights to Florida. I think I looked up, there's eight cities that we fly to Florida, and we don't go to the Pacific Northwest at all. Mm -hmm. And like the center of of the U.S. is kind of um, neglected as well. So eight cities in Florida. We love Florida and Kentucky. People do. People love to vacation in Florida. So where's this demand coming from? Is it people going from Kentucky to Florida or Florida here? I think it's people going from Kentucky to Florida. Um, it seems like, Marty, you've done the top uh, list before, and I know mm-hmm. Florida's got a, a city. I think Orlando was like two or three last year. Yeah. Flight destinations. So. I think a lot of people just go there for vacation, and a lot of people. Um, is it just the thought, like, it's hot there? here, let's go somewhere hotter? Just I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> like. I always joke, because I grew up in Eastern Kentucky where everyone goes to Florida. 
Yeah, everyone I feel like they didn't they know that any, anything was north. Everything was south. Right. You could only travel south. <laughs> and only north. <laughs> <laughs> Plane, planes don't work flying north. And yeah. like when I, I was exists north. It's just <laughs> a barren wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, like every vacation, like not for me, but like all my friends and and stuff, everyone always went to Florida. Or the and I think just like in the eighties. In 90s, it was just like Florida, Florida, Florida. And I think we... I didn't think there was an option to go somewhere other than Florida because (laughs) my mom would always try to take us on educational trips. Let's go study U.S. history. Let's go to D.C. And we were like, no, we got to go to the beach. We got to go to Florida. Mm -hmm. And now I regret that so much. I wish I had taken her up on all of those historical trips. Mm, I don't know. I still like the beach in Florida. So Sand is the worst. If, If I moved to Florida, I could be Florida man. You could. You could be Florida man. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a case for you to move to Florida. I've been thinking about it. But anyway, I, I, but I love Louisville, Kentucky, so I can't. So, um, so I'm going to kind of move on and, and from Florida. We all got our feelings on, on that state. The sun, is it the sunshine? No, that's California. No, no, it's Sunshine State. state. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. See? Golden State. Golden State Golden is California. State. There okay. you go. I always get those mixed up. Um, what would your ideal flight destination be? If you could add any flight, whether or not it made sense. Marty, I'll go to you first. Where would you, where would you like to see Louisville add a flight to? Uh, probably somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Portland, Seattle, just so you could get there quickly. Uh, that's an area, like Burke said, is completely neglected. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful part of the country, and you know, I would love to be able to get there pretty fast. So that'd be my, probably my dream destination. How about you, Chris? For completely selfish reasons, Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, sure. That way at least. Chris's hometown. Yeah, that's, for, where, for, uh, that's where I moved from. <laughs> uh, I think my parents would probably come visit us a little bit more often, or we'd be able to go visit them a little more often. When you go to South, or when you go to Salt Lake, um, where do you, do you usually have to fly through? Is there a, a uh, The last couple of times that I've it? flown out there, it's just routed through Chicago. So i got to yeah. go to Chicago, and then it's straight there. There have been flights where I've had where I've had to stop in, uh, like go to Chicago, but then also stop in Denver, which is so close. Mm-hmm. For reasons I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, sometimes that happens. Um, you get routed through somewhere weird. So, uh, how, uh, how about you, Brooke? Um, I think I would uh, like Boston. Boston's yeah. a, a pretty great city and uh, one of my favorite in the U.S. And I think that we really um, would benefit from a, a nonstop to Boston. I think we would too, and I think that is high on the list for a lot of uh, one of the top business. I mean, so yeah. much destinations tech is happening up there, and tech is our mm-hmm. um, thing of the moment. So, I mean, let's get that flight to Boston. Yeah. Well, this Sarasota announcement, you know, it, definitely not the biggest news in the world that we got this flight, but. You're going to have big wins alongside small ones, I guess. We had L.A., was that? Last year. Was it last last year? year. They announced a new direct flight to L.A., Uh, so that was a big win for us. And, uh, you know, this isn't obviously the biggest news that we could have gotten, but uh, it's, you know, one more direct flight, I guess. Uh, uh, Moving on, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Jewish Hospital and uh, and, uh, University of Louisville. this is a story that Chris has been watching all week, and uh, it, you know I'll kind of let you explain a little more here, Chris. Uh, basically, U of L is going to uh, uh, take on the uh, ailing Jewish hospital. It sounds like so. Tell us, you know, what are a few highlights from that deal? Yeah, the highlights is that, and kind of like the big takeaway is that U of L is going at this again after backing off earlier in the year. What's different now is that they have. 
uh, clear and spoken support from state government to help with the finances behind right. this. Now, UofL has maintained all along that they have the clinical and operational uh, you know, know-how to turn the hospital around. What they don't have was the money. So what was the failing point for them earlier in the year was they weren't able to find a private sector partner to pony up the money and, and buy the facility and merge mm-hmm. it into UofL Health. Now we have private foundation money from the Jewish Heritage Fund for Excellence and a uh, the exact wording on the foundation, I can't remember, but it's a foundation within Jewish Hospital and St. Mary's Healthcare that would be combining to give UofL $50 million in grant money. Uh, and then this unconventional... $50 million loan that is yet to be lined up and signed right. up on from the Kentucky Economic Development uh, Finance Authority. So they're taking a risk there. They're, they are, They're yeah. agreeing to this, but they haven't got the money from the state yet. That's right. And the money's not going to come from the state until after they close on the deal. So they have assurances from political leaders in the House and from Governor Bevin. I just got back from a press conference where Speaker of the House... Uh, David Osborne, Governor Matt Bevin, all stood up and said that they're going to help make this happen. But the re- you know the reality is, there's nothing guaranteed in politics ever. Um, right. But there's you know there there is assurances at the very least that they're going to come through after the ink is dried on this. Open up the session with re- readdressing this budget thing that they're going to have to do in 2020. Um, the assumption for the deal going forward is that it's going to happen, but it's not a guarantee. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was surprised about the price here. I think your story said $10 million to take over four hospitals, two specialty centers, and four outpatient centers. Yes, surprising very much. I mean, I had written a story back when this was new news. We've, yeah. been, we've been doing this for two years. <laughs> uh, new news was, you know, the valuation was up was over $500 million. Right. But right, the, yeah. But the thing is, got no it, got it, it for like cheap, man. I mean, well, well, just think about it. If you leave your house on the market for two years, you know, that price is going to come way down. And yeah. the reality is that, you know, UofL is going to have to spend millions on millions of dollars to turn this <laughs> thing around. All that money they're so getting is going to be renovation budget. Exactly. So the assets had degraded for years, mm-hmm. and they're not in good shape to begin with. <clears throat> yeah. So the money needs to be spent not on buying it, but getting it where it needs to be. All right. Well, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. And um, um, th- this development, you know, we had talked about on this show the the – uh, potential for U of L to take over the hospital. Uh, back, what was it, July or June? Yeah, it was several weeks ago. Yeah, um, and they weren't going to do it at the time. So you know, when we got the news this week uh, that they were going to do it, you know, it, it was it was surprising to me. But I think you learned why they're going to do it at the, at the press conference today. What did they say about uh, Jewish Hospital potentially closing soon? Yeah. So the impacts the impacts here are enormous. Uh, I've got all kinds of uh, you know facts and stats, but the you know the big one is probably the jobs. There's about five thousand people that have their employment through, uh, you know, Jewish Hospital and Kentucky One. If those go away, that's a lot of people out of out of work. Those a lot of healthcare jobs that are good paying jobs that mm-hmm. offer all kinds of potential for people to advance their life, advance their careers. Those would go go away. On the patient side, we're at the very least just on emergency room visits. We're talking about well over thirty thousand visits that can probably can't be absorbed by the mm-hmm. other hospitals. The news, you know, the kind of the the prevailing trend in healthcare right now is that hospitals generally are full in their emergency departments. Uh, so if you have a key hospital in a metro that shuts down, there's going to be people who go without services or have to yeah. wait exorbitant times. I mean, that sounds like a disaster. You know? It is a disaster. And the big thing that Jewish 
did was take was taking care of indigent Medi- you know, Medicaid patients. So we're talking about the most vulnerable populations in the t- in town being most affected by this. If we're going to translate this out to more of the consumer side than the business side, yeah. And you also have just tons of real estate that's going to sit there dead because who's going to take that on to renovate? It's going to be it's extremely yeah. expensive. Yeah. So it's just going to be dead space in your downtown. Yeah, and I that's put a it. Good- uh, point, Mike. And I put it to uh, Bendapudi at the press conference, you know, is this, you know, would it be cheaper just to build a new facility and shut down Jewish Hospital anyway? Uh, you know, she ultimately said it's very early, it's probably too early to, you know, talk about it, but there has to be a point where the cost to renovate a hospital is too high, and it mm-hmm. would be cheaper to build a new facility. I don't know where that is. I don't know if UofL knows where, the, where, where that line is yet, but you know, they have to be smart with these taxpayer and philanthropic dollars. And I hope that they'll, I mean, I hope they'll make the right move, but But to Marty's point, and, and this is a story for another day, what would happen to those buildings, you know? Repurposed, yeah. I guess. I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's hard really, now. it's really hard to repurpose a hospital into yeah. something else. Cause right, it's so exactly. Large. You know, what are you going to do? With I don't it, think so. we could make a luxury high-end uh, <laughs> apartment complex <laughs> for the millennials Someone to live. Someone will try, though. <laughs> <laughs> the rooms are tiny, but... Uh, it's turning into a hipster hotel of some sort. <laughs> there you go. A hostel. A big hostel. Yes. Um, uh, let's talk about Bendapudi on this. Um, what do you think this says about Bendapudi? Says she's willing to take a risk, I guess. So I I love it personally. Um, I love that she's willing to take a risk. I don't think we have enough risk takers in this city. I think that we all kind of um, toe that very conservative line, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think it needs, it, it, and this is an observation, and I'll admit this is an observation from my end, um, she very well could have done the whole like we tried, we gave it our all. Yeah, we did. We weren't successful, but we did our job in trying to do it. But it shows that she is gen. I think she's pretty genuine in her in her thinking about how the University of Louisville interacts and fits into the larger community. And it's very easy to think about one's you know uh, wherever one works or does their business in a vacuum. But the reality is that the University of Louisville is arguably the most important and influential institution in town, and she's very conscious about what the impacts of the university can be, or and probably and she probably has you know a great deal of thinking done about what they should be. Mm-hmm. So definitely, like to your point, bro, she's not afraid to take risks, but I think she's also very conscious about the impact of the university on the larger community. I think it kind of makes her look like a good negotiator too, because they presented her the deal. And it didn't make sense, and she said nope, and walked away, and waited till they came back and like offered her some state money. I mean, I would imagine that during the first round of negotiations, she was asking for state money, and the state wouldn't do it. Yeah, and there's been reporting by other media outlets that show that University of Louisville tried to garner support from the state to get public support, didn't necessarily work work out. And and Governor Bevin told media and about probably about a hundred people that are packed into Grawmeyer Hall. That's a that's a different story. It was hot as blazes in there, <laughs> but he told he told the crowd that. You know, there were a thousand, a thousand reasons why the, the, pub, the private option didn't work out. And that was the one that they wanted to see. They wanted to see the public sector step up and try to, and try to take this deal on. But when it was abundantly clear that wasn't going to, wasn't going to happen, that's when uh, Bendipudi was able to finally influence these leaders enough to the point where they were motivated to actually get the public support going. Mm-hmm. Um, I covered the Kentucky One story back at the beginning of Kentucky One. This looks like the end of Kentucky One, at least in Louisville. Yeah. Uh, they are keeping some stuff out in the state. But um, 
Uh, is it the Lexington area? Yeah, it'll be the Lexington hospital. area, Central, Eastern, and Eastern Kentucky. It's it's called now. It's been emancipated and branded differently. Yeah. Uh, it's called CHI, St. Joseph Health. Okay. Uh, playing on. Just so, rolls off the yeah. tongue. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, St. Joseph Health <coughs> system was one of the systems that went into creating Kentucky in the first place. They're, re- they're resurrecting that name. Yeah. I like that uh, Kentucky won, you know, they kind of had this vision of, Louisville and Lexington healthcare organizations coming together, and I think that's where Kentucky One came from. Uh, but uh, maybe they realized, nope, that's not going to work. So they just <laughs> moved. It's just on. Kentucky None. <laughs> Kentucky None. Um, Ouch. Uh, why didn't we think of that before? We could have like rolled that one out there. Um, I'm going to move on. Let's talk a little bit about soccer. Um, Marty, it is uh, it is Wednesday morning. Marty woke up early this morning to uh, write a story about a new soccer team potentially coming to uh, town. Uh, and, you know, this came from uh, The Athletic. The Athletic, if you're familiar with the subscriber-only thing, sort yeah. of usurping. Is this two weeks Sports in a row? I think we mentioned The Athletic. Yeah, they, uh, show, so. you know, they continue to grow as, a, as an organization. They had a story. They actually broke this news at the um, National Women's Soccer League. <clears throat> which has about nine teams now. They're considering expansion in 2020, and apparently from the sources they've talked to, both in the NWSL and the USL, which is the United Soccer League that Louisville CDFC is in, is that the NWSL uh, is looking at Louisville as maybe the the preeminent market to expand into. Yeah. Part of that is that the Louisville City Ownership Group is, is trying to make a deal. Uh, Amanda Duffy, this is kind of interesting, is Amanda Duffy, who used to be the president. Is she coming back? No, she's actually leads the NWSL. Oh, so, so there's this, like this local, local con- connection. There's a local yeah. connection there, uh, and she's been leading that organization for a while now. But um, you know, this is deal's been in the works for a few months, as I understand. Uh, Mike Mountjoy actually came out and confirmed what the athletic reported in a quick, in, in a short interview with the CJ uh, yesterday, late mm-hmm. last night. And uh, so now they're kind of just waiting to see. You know, it's in the NWSL's court, I guess. It, I, if they, uh, whether or not they expand. I yeah, guess. the Athletics said that there's a couple other USL teams that are wanting also a, a team. They didn't say who, mm-hmm. but they're kind of in competition with Louisville. But it sounds like Louisville's kind of in so the starting. I think you said that. this, but FC would definitely uh, they would own a stake in the yeah, team. Yeah, at least the stake. I think the the ownership group would would sort of take that on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Maljoy said the 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 franchise fee could be something like a million dollars, which mm-hmm. is. Minuscule compared to even oh, we got that. MLS is like two hundred fifty million. It's like a billion to join the NBA. Yeah. So one million sounds pretty pretty reasonable. Well, yeah. take it sold. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably going to be a, at least a few more weeks before anything's definitive. Um, but the, the Athletics seem pretty confident. They said they expect by the end of the year we would know something one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. Um, I and they this would, was like really exciting news. I, when I woke up and saw yeah. this, and they this would morning, likely so. be. Um, it sounds like they'd be playing in the new soccer stadium, so yeah. they'd be sharing that. You'd have a men's and women's team playing uh, at the new Butchertown Stadium once it opens there in 2020. Yeah, great value for that stadium. If you have yeah, they, they really need yeah. – you need something. I mean, with the Yum Center, you've got all the concerts kind of paired up with L men's and women, mm-hmm. so this would give them another team, plus they could also do concerts. So you I need, could see, like, doubleheader days, you know. Yeah, you need multi-purpose uses for an arena of that size. Yeah, so, so yeah, what do you guys think of this announcement? Love it. Love I, it. I do too. I think it's fantastic news for us and our city and for women. Yeah. Well, and you got the Women's World Cup just ended. It was huge. They, they kind of dominated yeah. to the point of where people were very angry about their domination. Yeah. <laughs> it was very bizarre. <laughs> but to read Twitter and how angry Americans were about the American team dominating. Damn team <laughs> of ours doing great. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I love everything about this idea of having, you know, a women, pro, pro women soccer team here in Louisville. I mean, we talked about on this 
on this podcast several times about you know women in leadership and business. I mean, because that's our focus mm-hmm. as a business, uh, you know, as, as a business publication. But then when you add in, you know, almost everybody's universal desire for more professional sports to come to Louisville as you know something to kind of up the live the livability factor of the city. Plus, it's another thing that attracts so many people to our. You know, Louisville is really at its heart is kind of a tourism, mm-hmm. you know, kind of base city. So much of our economy is driven by that. You know, plus the empowerment of you know of women is just it just knocks us out of the park. Like this is something that would be such so much yeah. of a win. And then like, it's what, very what, forward is there a downside here? Like, I'm what? I don't see. Well, not in my opinion. There's a couple things points too. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say there's negatives. I'm just going to bring up some other points. Well, I mean, there's risk. The as to your point about building buzz, the team, whether you like soccer or not, as a legit fan base, they're pretty rabid, and they brought a lot of excitement to the city. Yeah, you know, and an enthusiasm. I think that would only compound with this team. Yeah, but it also would give the ownership group who have said they want an MLS team a chance to try out a first tier pro team and kind of build a model that they could then maybe translate over to MLS at some mm. point. I think um, it seems like women's sports have become much more uh, prominent. The, you know, women's basketball is huge now mm-hmm. on the college level anyway. Uh, women's World Cup was huge, so I think it's very forward facing for us to try and go after this. Uh, women's team, uh, you know, I think a lot. There's a lot more buzz about those kind of sports uh, in general. So, um, let's see. Do you guys uh, do? You, do you think soccer is kind of the the game of the future for the U.S.? I, I love that narrative that I hear out there. That you know, the population of the U.S. is changing, and you know, it's mm-hmm. much more international. And there's a lot more interest in uh, soccer. So, do you guys think that's that's true, or is I that a reach? So. That, is that I, a, I one of Mike Mountjoy's? favorite story no, I think it's it's picking up steam and especially with all of the uh, stuff coming out about concussions and, yeah. and American football yeah, you know yeah. I think that a lot of times there's a lot of are reasons shifting, not to like American football right, which I love American football <laughs> you know but um, I think that there's a lot of, of reasons to kind of maybe shift our focus to soccer and the reality is the United States is behind the entire planet when it comes to soccer as a sport I would be more than willing to make the argument that soccer is humanity's sport Mm-hmm. It's played everywhere. Everyone has a national team, mm-hmm. and the only—I mean, the only reason it doesn't get the play that it does in the United States is because very successful entrepreneurs have built up the National Football League, Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, mm-hmm. um, you know, the you know NHL. There are so many other sports leagues in the U.S. that kind of take up all the oxygen in the mm-hmm. room that it hasn't reached the level that it has literally everywhere else. But with a lot of pro sports being at a flexion point, and a lot of the culture surrounding sports at a flexion point, this is where Soccer has the opportunity to become a dominant national sport at the level of some of these other leagues. One might say, "Kick the door in." Uh-huh. Yeah, I think even that Chris was Gold. <laughs> gold. <laughs> I think and Chris. I made done. that joke earlier before we started recording, and everybody was like, "No, nah, that sucks." And uh, just it's been really it, well right there. Yeah, I just brought it back in. I think Chris down even downplayed it. Is that soccer is the biggest sport in the world, and it's not even close. I mean, yeah. The stadiums that they build in other countries eclipse anything we have in the U.S. for any sport. I mean, you they're packing in 100,000-plus people in some of these mm-hmm. soccer stadiums, and they're full. They're not half empty like some of our stadiums are. If our teams are doing bad, we don't go. Mm-hmm. Soccer fans, I actually made a joke a while back that I wish I loved anything as much as soccer fans love soccer because <laughs> yeah, they're just so <laughs> passionate. They're so passionate. They love everything that's happening. Yeah. Like, even if they almost score, they act like they just won the, won the game. So <laughs> I, you know, I appreciate that enthusiasm. I think it will take some time. For us, just because we have this built-in thing that basketball, baseball, 
and football are our sports. Yeah. But I do see it building steam. You're seeing major news outlets covering it yeah. more. They're just more kind of focused on it. And the other thing is beyond the concussions and some of the other issues – it's really cheap to play soccer. It is. It is. Yeah. It's really cheap, like as a youth that. sport, because you know you don't have to buy shoulder. You don't have to buy you know bats and you know, gloves and all these yeah. and all the pads Anybody and everything, can, cleats and. I mean, you do have to have, have cleats, but you have a ball and you go. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's a point John Nason made in in talking about building the sport is that it is a cheap sport to start. That's why you see it really popular in really poor countries is that. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have a lot of money or really even any money much to, yeah. to start playing the sport. So. so we've dropped the name of Mike Mountjoy and John Neese. We should add they're in both there. O- they're a couple they're of the owners. A couple of the owners, a couple of business guys here in town that are part teams. of the ownership group. Um, I had a good point to make, but it just just left me. So any else, anything else on soccer? I'll just I'll move us on from there then. Um, I think that's it for the show, actually. I'm going to wrap this up there. Before I do that, I will let everyone uh, share their social media handles here. Marty, I'll start with you. Yeah, I am on Twitter at BFLumarty. I'm also on Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn. I've been on there for a while, but I'm trying to get it going again. Yeah. So you can find me on there under my name. So Yeah. Chris? So I'm at... BF Lou Chris, also most active on LinkedIn as far as my social media use goes. Trying to find uh, kind of a place to kind of fit in on LinkedIn. Try to join a couple groups. So if you're you know a listener and you're a member of like an active LinkedIn group, like to join there as well. So give me a shout on social media or email me at clarson at bizjournals.com. Brooke. Ah, hi, you can find me um, on Twitter at, at BF Lou Designer. And on Instagram at at btimmons26. All right. And you can find me at bflewdavid on Twitter or on Instagram as dman3001. And also, um, always feel free to email me. My email address is dman at bizjournals.com. Um, I put together the show. So if you, anytime you want to uh, give me a suggestion for the show or just suggestions that uh, on things that business first should be covering, I'm always happy to receive those. So uh, that's it for this week. Thank you, Brooke, Chris, and Marty. If you haven't already, we'd love for you guys out there to subscribe to us. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, and other podcast services. Um, Thank you very much, guys. And thank you guys at home for listening. Bye.